welcome back to the Renaissance episode 14. How are you, Raymond? Doing great. How, dramatic pause, are you? I'm good. Like, when we go to Europe in a yeah. couple of months, Ray, what, what are you looking forward to the most? What's the <sighs> single thing you're most excited about when we go to Europe? I'm not even going to say your mom. Um, that we are going to places... <laughs> I said I wasn't going to. I've been to Rome. I've been to Assisi, but that's all. I have never been to Paris, never been to uh, Ajaxia or, or uh, Athens or anything. I'm just looking for look, looking forward to a whole bunch of discovery, stuff that I don't know, and just between you and me, not having to explain everything to my kids. Um, j- it's just going to be just one giant orgy slash party of exploration. What about you? Wow. Yeah. Oh, well, for me, the, the highlight's going to be going back to Ajaxio. You know, we will be there pretty much uh, on the exact 10-year anniversary of Aww. when I met Chrissy in Ajaxio, which is the real reason for the trip. Fuck all y'all. It's, it's, <laughs> it's really it's our anniversary holiday. I'm just taking you guys with me. Um, I'll take everybody away when we're there to the other side of the island. Yeah, and Fox. Yeah, yeah we, we have some serious... And the hotel that we're staying at is the hotel where Chrissy and I met and where oh. we first did the deed um, a couple of days later. Beautiful. So we're, we're going to be... We're going to be going at it, man. Yeah. You just need to you know, distract people for a while. I can do that. Um, yeah, so that's the, I mean, it's it's all going to be awesome, but that's going to be the highlight for me is yeah. uh, 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 reliving uh, where I accidentally met my soulmate. Oh, um, it's a lovely thing. Yeah. Um, uh, let's talk about Augustine of Hippo. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that I think people, even devout Christians, may not know about him is... Um, they call me Hippopotamus. My lyrics are bottomless. <laughs> oh, that would be good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One thing that people may not know about Augustine of Hippo, is among his many accomplishments, writer, intellectual, orator, douchebag, uh, is he also invented uh, rap, which is why it's known as Hippo Hop. Say what? Augustine of the hip, hip, hop, and you don't stop. Rock to the bang, bang. Boogie say up, jump the boogie to the rhythm of the boogie bee. Now what you hear is not a test. I'm rapping to the beat. And me, the groove, and my friends are going to try to move your feet. You see, I am Wonder Mike, and I like to sing hello. Up to the black, to the white, the red, and the brown, the purple, and yellow. But first, I got to bang, bang, the boogie to the boogie. Say up, jump the boogie to the bang, bang. Do you know the background behind that song, um, apart from the fact that Augustine wrote it? No. <laughs> it, it, th- these guys weren't real rappers. I think it was Wonder Mike. He ran a pizza store. Oh, my God. I think God. it was in, Brook- in Brooklyn. 
And he used to go to rap shows by some of the early rappers, mm-hmm. um, Grandmaster Flash and these guys, and he basically just memorised what they would do. <laughs> and and then there was this woman who was a music producer and she was trying to figure out, you know, what the next big thing was going to be. And he's like, and uh, I think her son knew, went used to buy pizzas from this guy or something. He was like, yeah, yeah, I can, I can, I can rap. Yeah. And so he went to the studio with a couple of mates, none of whom were actual rappers. They oh were fake God. rappers. Right. And they, they, knocked, they knocked that out by literally ripping off lyrics of some of the early genuine <laughs> uh, rappers from around Brooklyn. Whatever um, works. Or Harlem or wherever these guys uh, right. were coming from. Um, so, yeah, there you go. That's cool. Uh, Hip-hop. Yeah. Augustine of Hip-hop. Now... <laughs> Even if you're not a Christian, you've heard of St. Augustine. He's one of the most, he's one of the biggest names uh, in, mm-hmm. in Western civilization. I mean, you've got Jesus, you've got <laughs> Julius Caesar, you've got uh, Rain Cam, uh, you've got Stan, uh, Stan <laughs> and Augustine of Hippo. It's right. the big five. <laughs> The five pillars of Western civilization. I was speaking at this podcasters meetup in Brisbane last night, and um, somebody said, "Do you? Do you uh, I was talking about how do you promote a history podcast, and I was like, you know, we're the biggest thing in history. Quite frankly, there's no one bigger than us." And one guy said, "What? What about Dan Carlin?" I said, "Fuck Dan Carlin." <laughs> And Mike Duncan. Good comeback. Uh, we're the biggest thing in history outside of those guys and a few others. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Um, Augustine, one of the most important figures in all of history. Now, whether you like him or don't like him, and I don't like him, and I'll explain why over the next couple of episodes, but um, y- y- you have to acknowledge his sheer intellectual power and the mm. enormous output of his oh, work. God, yes. I mean, he really is the the cornerstone of Western Christian tradition. Oh, yeah, yeah, you've got the Bible. But outside of the Bible, it's then in terms of influence and importance yeah. is Augustine. Now, I had somebody on Facebook the other day say, oh, no, St. Tom- uh, Thomas Aquinas is uh, more influential. Yeah, he didn't come along for like 800 years later. Right, it's not the same thing. Uh, yeah, and, and he was influenced by Augustine. So Augustine really is the guy that built Christianity as we think of it today. Uh, 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 and for all of its flaws, they, you can trace a lot of them uh, back to Augustine. A lot of the damage mm-hmm. that Christianity did throughout the Dark Ages, the early to late Middle Ages, uh, you can trace back to ideas either invented or at least articulated forcefully and promoted by Augustine in his works. And we're going to we're going to talk about some of those over the next uh, couple of episodes. It, it has been said he wrote so much that I read someone said that anyone who claims to have read everything that he's written is <laughs> right. lying. Fucking lying. Um I, I mean I have it all. I've got a, a book, ebook called The Works of the Church Fathers. It's like billion books <laughs> right. and letters and all of this kind of stuff. It's massive, and it's got all of his stuff in there. And it is. It's enormous. Absolutely, absolutely enormous. I had, I had one historian describe him this way. He said, Augustine shaped the doctrines of the Catholic Church and created the litmus test for orthodoxy up 
up to and through the Protestant Reformation and beyond. So yeah, this guy is one of the pillars. There's there's so much of Christianity that is based on what he did. Uh, whether that's good or bad, everybody can decide for themselves. No, we'll decide. It's okay. bad. Um, <laughs> you listen, we decide. That's our motto. <laughs> I'm comfortable with that, actually. I'm okay with yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, now, he was born in 354 in North Africa, a place uh, which would have been known then as the Roman province of Numidia. Today, mm-hmm. it's mostly Algeria. Yeah. His mother, Monica, was a Christian, a right. Berber, which is an indigenous um, ethnic group from Numidia. His father was a pagan who didn't convert to Christianity until he was on his deathbed. And he was a Roman citizen, the father, probably either a freed slave himself or, or, or descended from a freed slave. Did he go by the name Chandler? Chandler and Monica? Oh, fuck. <laughs> Good one. Shit. I, quick question, my hand's up. If his mother's a Berber, native to that mm. place, does that mm. mean he is black like our Lord and Savior? <laughs> Yes, uh, it does mean he was quite possibly uh, a black African. And, and this is actually important. Right. Because Christians ended up enslaving millions of Africans because they were believed they were subhuman. Right. And Augustine himself, as we'll see, justified slavery by saying that slavery was God's punishment for sin. Oh. And this gets used to enslave his own people by Christians who he influenced. So he created the arguments by which Christians justified enslaving black Africans. A black African right. came up with the justification to allow Christians to, justif- to, to enslave black Africans. Isn't it ironic? <laughs> It's like rain on your wedding day. No, that's just bad luck. It's just bad luck, Alanis. Like, read a fucking dictionary. Um, So I think that's interesting Um, uh, uh, when you you tie this back. Now, it's not that slavery didn't exist, obviously, before Augustine. It did, and there were various justifications for it. You know, it was just, sorry, you were on the losing side of that battle, so you're now a slave for a period of time. Sucks. Or or you were a a barbarian um, or whatever it was. But here he brings a religious justification to slavery. God mm-hmm. basically wants people to be slaves because they or their ancestors were sinners. Um, and, and we'll get into that in more detail as we get into his writings. Anyway, as, as, a, as a kid, he got a reasonably good education for the mm-hmm. time, which was unusual, of course. Most people in, in this day and age were illiterate, got little to no education. He got a really good education, and he turns out to be a really bright kid. And, uh, you know, he he gets a lot of opportunities as a result of that. I think you mentioned on a previous episode, or I might just have dreamed about you talking to me, um, Augustus' family name, Aurelia, suggests that his father's ancestors were freedmen. You just mentioned that a minute ago from the gens Aurelia, given full full Roman citizenship and the edict of 
Caracalla in 212. His family were considered the upper class of citizens uh, known as honorable men. So they had some money. He could get an education, but they weren't like uber wealthy where they could just do anything they want. But he certainly had advantages that a lot of other, the vast majority of other people around him did not. Now, when he's 17, he has a sugar daddy. His father isn't around much, doesn't play much of a role in his life. He's mostly a mama's boy, and Mm -hmm. that has huge implications uh, throughout the course of his life. But he has some sort of a sugar daddy who pays to send him to Carthage at the age of 17, where he continues his studies, particularly in, in rhetoric. He studies all of the masters, Plato, Socrates, Cicero, Demosthenes, uh, and he's a quick learner. And, and it's around about this time that he first reads Cicero's On Philosophy, or Hortensius, I think as it's also known. doesn't exist anymore. Uh, unfortunately, it's lost, uh, mostly thanks to Christians. Uh, but it, in it, Cicero apparently taught that gen- genuine human happiness it comes from studying philosophy. Mm. And uh, Augustine read this, went, fuck, Cicero, okay, uh, better take that seriously, old Dicaro. And and he, he sort of, that becomes his passion then, is, is philosophy. He also develops a passion for fucking. Um, that's his two great passions in life <laughs> uh, as a young man, seriously. Uh, philosophy and fucking, and quite honestly... I'm up there. I, I agree. They're, they're my two big. That's seriously. I'm, I'm I'm on board with that. I've actually used philosophy at a bar to get laid. So yeah, I think those are two very powerful um, things you, that you can put together. Did you? Were is you it, going? Yeah. Is it since you met me? It's it's where you go. Hey, um, you know, free will doesn't exist. Uh, therefore, you're going to fuck me whether you want to or not. That's right. Um. I try that, but then when she starts laughing, I just keep buying her drinks. Same thing. That's your philosophy? That's my philosophy. <laughs> I, I put my her philosophy. over my shoulder, and I, and I say, oh. and I say, fiancé, there she goes again. Oh, my God. And then I take her away. I'm You're justifying drunk, uh, raping <laughs> drunk women now, essentially. That's, the that's Harley, what you're saying? The hardly know that I was there. It's oh, So it's okay. Uh, the, it kind of excuses the, pro- the producers of this show would like to point out that uh, we do not endorse raise comments about rape and uh, raping exactly. drunk people or anyone for that reason. You know, um, the, the, the Cosby. We don't endorse We only just the Cosby factor. Yeah. No. Ray <laughs> and should not even be making jokes about no. pulling a Cosby. Look who the fuck is talking. Do, were you going to go back and do the stealing the fruit story? I didn't want to mess with your vibe. Oh, yeah. I'm going to touch okay. on that. I mean, right. it's, I, I, it's not a big deal. That story is such a stupid story. But he, he, you know, he, he gets it. We'll get to that when we get to con- the confessions. Yeah. But he gets an interest in fucking. He, he says in his autobiography, Confessions, um, that he was hanging out with other guys who like to fuck. Um, uh, they they like to have sex with lots of chicks. Augustine yeah. wanted to fit in with these guys, so he was doing the same thing. It's supposedly during this period that he claims he uttered his famous prayer, grant me chastity and continence, but not yet. <laughs> now... Chastity obviously means uh, not having sex with people. Continence is obviously being able to not shit your pants. So, because he was incontinent 
Augustine. He, he liked fucking and shitting himself in public. And he liked it. So basically what he's saying in this famous prayer, people don't tend to understand this because they haven't analysed it deeply, right. but I have. This is what I do. I go deep. He's basically saying, Lord, please stop me from shitting myself in public. But not today, Lord. <laughs> not today. Because... Not today, Lord, because I'm going to a club a little bit later. Uh, you know, Lord, one of those clubs where kinky shit's okay. Um, <laughs> name of the club that. is Two Girls, One Cup, Lord. And, and I, I'm probably going to need to be able to shit myself while I'm there. So please grant me the ability to contain my bowels, but uh, not... Oh, not yet. <laughs> not yet. Oh, <laughs> This is him praying. I've got a recording of him saying this prayer. Ah, <laughs> uh, shit myself and I cannot lie. Anyway. <laughs> Grant me chastity and continence, but not yet. Now, it's around about this time that he meets a young woman who he falls madly in Aww. lust with. <laughs> right. And this is where it gets really fucked up. His mother, who is a Christian, is against this, but he doesn't care, and the relationship keeps going. He keeps mm, 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 all night long. Yeah, so he doesn't marry this woman. No. Uh, he's with her for 15 years. <laughs> we don't even know her name. He doesn't even mention her name. Like, one of the most prolific writers right. in, in history doesn't mention the name of the woman that he was fucking for 15 years. He has a kid with her. We know the kid's name, Adiodatus. <laughs> it's because he's a male. Which, which means given by God. Right. Now, that may mean that uh, it was an unexpected pregnancy or that it was a virgin birth. Because, you know, <laughs> when you're dealing with Christians, you can't never know. be completely sure. Right. Um, but uh, they couldn't get married because his mother wanted him to marry someone of, of his own class. Damn. Now, I don't know about you, Ray, but if my mother tried to tell me who I could and couldn't marry, right? Uh, with all due respect to my mother, who's a wonderful, wonderful woman, and, and I, I love her dearly, I'd be like, shut the fuck up. Well, <laughs> I disagree. What? It depends on how she tells you. So she says, it's time for you to grow up. I've got someone for you to marry. And she's very rich. She comes from a rich family. There's just one little catch. I'm going to need you to wait a while. <laughs> yeah, but this happens after he's been with the woman for 15 years. He's with this woman 15 years, has a kid with her, but won't marry her because his mother won't let him. <laughs> now, Mommy, I really like her. Yeah, uh, uh, I know. <laughs> Hello, would you would you like some fries with that? I'd love to. I can't marry you because my mummy won't let me, and I don't want to upset my mama. No. Now his mother Monica again was a Christian, right? Um, and so you know, like a good uh, Christian, she wanted his son to be a bastard, uh, <laughs> and. She wanted him to marry someone for money. Um, anyway, during this time, we'll get to that. During this time, uh, this 15-odd years, he finishes his studies, becomes a teacher of grammar and rhetoric in mm -hmm. his hometown, Hippo, in North Africa. 
he, he also has a, a freestyling career um, <laughs> as, a, as a rapper. It goes quite well. Then he goes to Cartage. Right. Uh, where he kind of, around about the time he goes to Cartage, he leaves the Christian church, which mm-hmm. he's sort of been raised in, and becomes a Manichaean, follows the Manichaean religion, which Ooh. greatly upsets his mother. Yeah. Now, we've talked about the Manichaeans briefly before, uh, back in the early episodes, I think, when we were talking about the persecutions of Diocletian. Now, uh, just as a reminder, they were followers of the prophet Mani, and they were kind of a Gnostic religion. Mani uh, was, a, was a Persian. The religion came out of Persia. Mani declared himself to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And he sort of merged together Christianity, Zoroastrianism, and Buddhism, and a few other weird things, threw them all into a bucket, shook it up, tipped it on the ground, said, this is <laughs> Ta-da! this is what we're doing now. Now, <laughs> they were persecuted by Diocletian back in the early part of the 4th century. Same time he was persecuting the Christians, he went after the Manichaeans, had a lot of them executed, their books burned, etc., etc. Now... Yeah. I just want to throw in, I, I, I was able to find about the Manichaean religion. It said that evil was outside of the humans, so it's not your fault. It promised to help you gather knowledge, but there was very little structure, and that's what he was looking for at that particular time in his life, looking to learn things and not be considered responsible for his own sins. And as you can imagine, that upset his mother greatly. So, yeah, so he, he gravitates away from Christianity to this. He's looking for something and his mother is very upset. And as you were saying a second ago, she has a pretty tight rein on this guy. Yeah, I'll, I'll drill down into what the Manichaeans believed okay. in in a moment. But the first point I wanted to make is that, you know, the, they were being persecuted back in the early 4th century like Christianity was. But mm-hmm. by the time Augustine joins the religion, sort of late in the 4th century, one of those religions is now the officially sanctioned state religion, and one is still being persecuted. Right. Still fringe, being persecuted, and that's the one that he joins. He's a like, rebel uh, babe. In, as late as 382 CE, Theodosius I issued a decree of death for oh. all Manichaean monks. Damn. So to choose that religion, the one where people are still getting persecuted... Yeah. as opposed to the one that you were raised in that is now the officially sanctioned state religion, um, says something about his personality, his character, I think. Right. It, it might be that he's a seeker of truth wherever it lies, or maybe he's a seeker of punishment, or he likes being on the fringe, or maybe he just genuinely likes what they're saying and doesn't care if it's being persecuted. But it, it's it's a weird thing to you know, as somebody who is highly educated mm-hmm. and obviously very intelligent, to choose to join this religion where people are ex- literally getting executed by the empire still for being part of it, right? Um, I think that says something about his psyche, his 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 personality at this stage. I wonder if because he's in Carthage in North Africa, far away from Rome, and because his you know his parents are. Well to do. They're not uber rich, but well to do. I wonder if he feels like nothing bad would happen to him. Um, maybe distance is helping him, but I think you're right. I think that I think that the fact that he flies in the face of this and it is against the law and it is very dangerous says something about him that 
it's, it's like a little glimpse into how tough he is because later on he's going to become this absolute boy scout, good boy, whatever, write all these books. But for right now, it seems like there is a part of him that is a little bit reckless or something like that. I think he's a little bit damaged, uh, and I think this is evident in his mm. later writings as well. And gotcha. um, anyway, we'll get into that. So the, the Manichaeans, as you said, they're, yeah, they accept Jesus as a spiritual leader, but their teachings are mostly around the nature of evil. Mm. Um, this is a big deal for them. Now, you might think it's a big deal for Christianity as well, but it, it really wasn't. And it wasn't a big thing in Judaism either, really. If you go back and you read the Old Testament, you read the Torah uh, and you read the New Testament, if you read uh, the Gospels uh, and, and even the epistles of Paul, there's not a lot about evil in them, surprisingly little about evil or the nature of evil. There's, there's you know, Satan gets a mention as a, as a great tempter and this kind of stuff, and there's the fall of Adam and Eve and the serpent. But really evil's not a big part of Judaism or Christianity up until, you know, sort of Augustine. Um, mm-hmm. and, and he takes a lot of this Manichaean stuff and integrates it into Christianity. I mean, it's, I'm not saying it wasn't a big part. It wasn't at, at any part of it, but it wasn't a huge part of it, uh, at least if you take the, the scriptures, uh, the Jewish and the, the Christian scriptures. Um, but the Manichaeans were big into it. Now, evil for the Manichaeans was symbolized by darkness Good was symbolized by light. Uh, you know, it's, it sounds like a basic solar cult, um, right. like Sol Invictus, right? I mean, mm-hmm. which most astrological-based religions are based on. I've talked about this in shows before. It makes a lot of sense in the ancient world before we understood much about astronomy, um, early primitive uh, tribal cultures, could tell that, particularly if you're in the Northern Hemisphere, that uh, certain periods of the year, the sun was weak, it disappeared around about, you know, the late December, the winter solstice. During the period, that time, three, four months of the year when the sun was weakened, uh, the, there was cold, there was snow, the crops died, the animals hibernated, people starved, people froze to death. Uh, then the sun would come back and, and, and there would be crops and spring and bunny rabbits and, and animals would come out of you. You could hunt bear again and, and life was good. So, you know, they developed a, a way of explaining that. It was this, this, this endless fight between the forces of darkness and the forces of light. The sun was obviously a god that was battling against the forces of darkness. And this makes its way into... A lot of you know a lot of religions, uh, including Judaism and and Christianity. You know, underlying them, I believe, are some basic both solar cults and also uh, grain cults. You know, uh, uh, agricultural cults. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I've mentioned this before on the show. If I talked recently about the, I can't. I keep getting confused between this and the documentary. Yeah. But I talked about the eat my body, drink my blood stuff. Did I talk um, about that recently? I you don't know. Well, I think so, but it's well, all the whole, together. The, yeah. the, the, the whole Last Supper, the Eucharist in Christianity, right? Jesus says, eat this bread, it's my body. Drink this wine, it's my blood. Mm-hmm. As Robert M. Price points out, 
Um, well, this is obviously taken from agricultural uh, mystery religions. So Dionysus was the wine god in Rome and Greece uh, under a different name. He was the wine god. He was the god of wine. So when you drank the wine, you were drinking the blood of the god. That was a, 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 oh. you know, a, an agricultural um, mystery religion. And um, they also had a god of the grain. And when you ate the grain in the form of bread, you were eating the body of that god. So Christianity in the Last Supper and the Passover tradition is basically integrating these pre-existing agricultural deity uh, spiritual uh, traditions, eating eating the bread and drinking the wine. Anywho, um, so the mannequins, getting back to them. So evil is this endless struggle, uh, is in this endless struggle with good, the forces of light. They believed that uncontaminated light was in the sun and the moon, and they acted against uh, the forces of darkness. This is basically the light side of the force versus the dark side of the force. <laughs> and they believed that all matter was, was evil. So basically there was the spiritual realm where everything was good and, and the world was created by the forces of evil. They believed that the human body was evil and it, it was sort of acted as a prison for the soul. The soul was inside. The soul was good mm-hmm. and it was trapped like a prison inside the body, which was evil. And, and you know, what they were trying to do was to figure out how do you help the soul escape from the body? Um, basically, you can think of it this way. The um, soul was like a genie trapped in Rub a me. lamp. Rub me, Cam. Is it wrong that I get horny just by hearing that music? No. Is that is that wrong? No, I had to scoot back my chair a little bit. I'm right there with you, buddy. <laughs> Make some room. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, my childhood. Um, so this is so. This is what the Manichaeans believe. So the soul is trapped inside the body. Now they actually claimed that they were kind of the real Christianity. Sure. They saw themselves as the teachers of this pure kind of scientific Christianity that was closer to what Jesus believed than where the Catholics had gone with it. Um, and they actually made fun of the Catholics and, and their Bible because it contained so many contradictions, all of the, the, the Gospels, you know, contradicting each other. The Manichaeans also were, like the really hardcore ones, were pretty ascetic. They tried to remove themselves from the world as much as possible, like the Essenes did. The, mm-hmm. the um, Essenes were a Judaic sect um, from around, you know, the first uh, early centuries, similar time, actually, as the Manichaeans. Um, 
you know, they tried to get away from the world because they thought it was corrupt and matter was corrupt. They want to get as far away from it as possible. Some of the Manichaeans even employed servants that were called hearers, H-E-A-R-E-R-S, hearers, who basically served them their food, made their food, served them their food, um, so they didn't have to touch it. You know, they wanted to be as uninvolved in the world as possible. And Augustine was a hearer. He wasn't a member of the elite of the Manichaeans. He was kind of a, he was a noob. He was like one of the lower ranks of of Scientology. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Um, I don't know anything about what that's called, but yeah. 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 Initiate. Yeah. Initiate. That's what he was. I think that was the term. Like he was an initiate. He was a hearer. So he was involved in it, but he wasn't deep, deep, deep in it, but um, was attracted to it for whatever reason. And this is 10 years of his life he spends as a Manichaean. Wow. Of his adult life. It's a, it's a big amount of time. Um, and he was allowed to have sexual relationships as being a Manichaean, but they weren't supposed to have kids because when you had a kid, you were producing more matter, oh. uh, which is evil. So that's a bad thing, but he but does that anyway. There's a soul in the body, and that's good. No, but it's trapped in the body. Don't that's make me bad. play the I Dream of Genie <laughs> theme again. <laughs> I was just now, trying to. Yeah, go ahead. After 15 years of being with this woman who we don't know her name, that he's obviously in love with, um, his mother arranged, his Christian mother. <laughs> Monica arranges for him to marry or be betrothed anyway to a 10-year-old girl. Well, in her defense, she was pretty hot. <laughs> I can't believe I just said that. Forgive me, Lord. <laughs> anyway. Uh... So he breaks it off with his woman, uh, I, I think they're both in uh, in Rome or I think Rome or Milan at this stage because right. he travels around. He sends his woman back home to thanks for everything.
nailed it, Ray. <laughs> Bull the eye. So his love goes back to Africa while he's going to bang a 10-year-old <laughs> girl because... What do you say to the person you've been banging for 15, 18, 17 years, and then you put her on a ship? I mean, how do you... Look, how does that play you're out? An, look, it's been good, but you're an ugly old hag, <laughs> and I after some young you've, pussy. You've gotten wide. You're starting to sag. Thanks for the memories. She goes back to Africa, leaves the teenage son with Augustine. yeah. yeah. Um, because like his namesake, Augustus, he wants to be getting back to deflowering maidens. Right. Uh, that's really what it's all about. But he has to wait two years before he can marry her because it's an enlightened time. <laughs> and the legal age of deflowering was 12, um, as it is in all civilised uh, yeah. Christian nations. Now, somewhere around this time, uh, he goes to Rome to set up his own school. He's been teaching in Carthage, um, and he's not happy with uh, how that's going. He wants to he wants to be in the big city, so he goes to Rome, thinking this is before the sack of Rome. This is late fourth century. He's going to go to Rome. This is where it's all happening. Yeah. It's the big big apple, man. He goes there. Uh, doesn't go very well. Uh, do you know why it doesn't go very well for him, Ray? <laughs> no. Well, the one thing that I thought was uh, funny was that when he was in Carthage and he conducted a school of rhetoric, uh, that was a pain in the ass. The students were a pain in the ass. He was very, very frustrated. So he goes to Rome. And I'm not sure if we covered this in the Augustus show, but um, so he sets up a school in Rome. And the way it works is your students come, they intend for however long the the term is and on the very last day they pay you for everything yeah look i learned a lot from you thank you very much here's whatever i owe you a lot of them didn't show up on the last day or they just flat out didn't pay him so he spends his time teaching these kids and these little shits run off and don't pay him so again the big city is turning out to be a big pain in the ass for him but he's there now what is he gonna do Yeah, that's a good model. Listen, you teach me all year. <laughs> Everything And if know. at the end of the year I think you did a good job, I'll uh, pay you. But uh, <laughs> did a good job? No, I'm not paying. Yeah. I'm not turning up. <laughs> yeah, and all of his students stiffed him at the end of the year. Now, yeah. what do we learn from that? Either that his students were all a bunch of cunts or <laughs> yeah. maybe he actually wasn't a very good teacher. Writer, yes. Teacher, maybe not. Maybe they all went, eh, I don't, I don't think so. No, can I'm I get not coming in, back. Yeah, can I get this in a podcast form? Because yeah. <laughs> you can imagine that if you don't pay, he's not going to let you back in the class next year. Yeah. So they're like, I don't, I don't know. I don't think that was any good. <laughs> well, maybe they were just a bunch of little cunts. We don't know. <laughs> anyway, so he's looking around for what to do. He's still a Manichaean at this stage and – his Manichaeans introduce him to uh, a friend of theirs, the prefect of the city of Rome, our old friend, Symmachus. Symmachus. Now, Symmachus, you might recall from an earlier episode, he was the guy who kept begging the Christian emperors to let pagans have religious freedom um, and to keep the altar of uh, victory in mm-hmm. the forum. They said, no, shut the fuck up. Um, but you know he he is looking. He's got the job uh, at this juncture of finding a professor of rhetoric, aka the imperial orator, for the imperial court in Milan. 
which right. is where it still was at this time. So um, they go, oh, you know who's re- who'd be really good at that job? Augustine. Oh, can that guy, that guy could talk. His students don't like him much, but uh, he's yeah. pretty good. So uh, he gets that job. Ironically, the greatest, uh, most influential Christian uh, in history uh, uh, gets a job at the court because of the last great pagan, Samarcus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 And he so starts- he gets the job and he heads to Milan in 384. Yeah. And he's, he's about 30 years old uh, at this point. And the good thing about this is not only is he working for the state now, but generally this position is really good for opening doors to starting a political career. So if he is worried about upward uh, being upwardly mobile, he's certainly in the right place to do it. Uh, maybe the... Um, the marriage to the 12-year-old who's coming from a rich family, maybe it will work, maybe it won't, whatever. But now he's on a good career path if that is his, um, if that is his uh, priority. Now, um, before he goes to Milan, he meets with the top Manichaean in Carthage, the Bishop Faustus, because mm-hmm. uh, he needs to decide. Like, going to, the, going to the imperial court as a Manichaean... <laughs> Not good. Yeah, it's a bit of a dicey move, really. Yeah. Someone so says, hey, I'll meet you in church. Uh, actually, I go to a yeah. different church. Yeah. He needs to figure out once and for all, is he is he going to commit to this Manichaean business or not? Um, so he meets with the Bishop Faustus uh, in Carthage, who's highly uh, uh, reputed teacher, but they sort of... Have, go toe-to-toe, and he really doesn't do a good job of answering Augustine's questions. Uh, Augustine starts to turn away from yeah. Manichaeism. Yeah. He thinks they're, some of their ideas about all matter being evil are too simplistic, right? and he decides, eh, I don't think so. So he's up for grabs when he goes to Milan. And when he goes to Milan, he quickly ends up being taken under the wing of Ambrose. dun dun, who, dun. Obviously, is goes. Oh, here's someone who can talk and who can write. I need someone like that. The full package. To help, yeah. Help me take over the world. Do, do you think that they both recognized? I mean, obviously, Augustine recognizes the brilliance of Ambrose, but do you think they both recognized each other, uh, either the potential for intellect or for the, maybe his writings or whatever? Because, like you said, the students, maybe he wasn't, maybe Augustine wasn't a great teacher or a great orator, who knows? But I think maybe Ambrose saw something in him uh, because he seems to take Augustine under his wing. Yeah, look, if I if I strip away um, all of the religious rhetoric around this and look at it with my human nature goggles on, right? You know, we've talked about Ambrose before. Ambrose was was a politician who became a bishop. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, saw an opportunity in conjunction with the emperor at the time. Uh, Valens or one of those, can't remember who it was. One of those guys. One of them. Um, saw an opportunity to build a bit of an empire around Christian uh, a, a Christian bishopric in the imperial court, mm-hmm. um, and together he and whichever emperor it was, you know, start to to uh, uh, build 
Christianity into a force, a political force, whereas it hadn't been a political force really up until this stage, direct political force. So we know that about Ambrose. Then Augustine comes along. He's not so young. He's, he's in his 30s now, yeah. but he's obviously very bright, well-educated, very articulate, doesn't really have uh, any fixed uh, religion at this point, and Ambrose, I think, is pretty clear sees an opportunity in getting this ki- this young guy, well, this guy, to to be part of his his uh, team. You know, we're going right. to build uh, we're going to build Christianity into the thing that makes and breaks the Roman Empire, which is what we know uh, Ambrose ended up doing with Theodosius. <laughs> right. Um, from from Augustine's perspective, he's looking. He knows he's smarter than the average bear. Right. He's 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 looking for an opportunity. Where am I gonna? How am I gonna get what's coming to me? How am I gonna get power and authority? How am I gonna get people to listen? Um, how am I gonna get the opportunity to write to to lecture? Um, and Ambrose goes, dude, look, I can get you in on the ground floor on this Christian pyramid <laughs> thing, man. Like. <laughs> Trust me, I know it's been around for nearly four hundred years, but it's early days. It's about man, to take early off. days. Yeah. yeah, really take off. I can get you in. People will still be people will be doing podcasts about you sixteen, seventeen hundred years from now. Trust really? me on this. Wow. I've I've seen the future and it will be. I've seen the future and it hurts. Um so now this is what Augustine would later write about Ambrose in his autobiography. He writes that man of God received me as a father would and welcomed my coming as a good bishop should. Mm. Now, apart from that being the first hip-hop line ever written, <laughs> that man of God received me as a father would and welcomed my coming as a good bishop should. A hip, hop, a hip, 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 hip to the hip, hop, they don't stop. Uh, I think what he's actually talking about here is a little bit of dick tickling um, <laughs> going on here. Uh, and lovely. that. As you may know, is actually my porn name, Dick Tickling. Um, <laughs> ring, ring, pizza delivery, Tick Tickling at your service, ma'am. I could be there in 10 minutes and come 10 minutes after that. <laughs> what were we talking about? What kind of topping do you like on your pizza, ma'am? How <laughs> uh, I get the meat special? <laughs> Anyway, meat with cream. It's, uh, it's our two people. Augustine uh, also wrote, and I began to love him, of course, not right. at first as a teacher of the truth, for I had entirely despaired of finding that in thy church, but as a friendly man. Mm. Again, a uh, bit of dick tickling going on. Now, we know again that Ambrose was a governor. Uh, only 10 years before Augustine got to Milan mm-hmm. with zero, he, was, he had zero religious training, even less religious conviction, uh, um, merely 10 years before Augustine gets there with really no religious training and no religious conviction. So, you know, we're supposed to believe that in 10 years, Ambrose went from knowing Jack shit, <laughs> which by the way, is my other porn name, but, <laughs> I reserve that one just for anal porn. Um, he went from knowing jack shit about Christianity 
to being Martin Luther King on a slip and slide. Like I don't buy I don't buy that. I think something else is going on here. Just right. like the story of how Ambrose became Bishop of Milan, I think something smells funky yeah. and it's not jack shit. Um, now, you know, I think Ambrose said, look, kid. <clears throat> hey, look, kid, you got the brains, you got the gift of the gab. This Christianity thing, it's a bunch of bullshit. Sure, but it's got the royal stamp, kid, see? Theodosius is my little bitch and I'm look about to put ring. him over my... I'm about to put him over my knee and slap him for giving me the keys to the Imperial Porsche, if you get what I mean. You can still get it on the ground floor, kid. I can make you a bishop. See, it's going to be great, kid. Uh-huh. That's my, uh, thank you, and scene. That's my impersonation of yeah. Dan Bryce. That's my jack, that's the voice that I do when I'm doing jack shit, by the way, in my anal porn series. <laughs> hey, you want me to stick it up your butthole? Hey. All Women right. love it. Yeah. Oh, they love that voice, man. It's just straight, straight, straight gay, uh, straight anal porn. I want to point out, not gay <laughs> anal porn. Um, Freudian now, slip. meanwhile, yeah. Augustine's mother arrives in Milan <laughs> to take care of the how deflowering of the maiden business. <laughs> and as it turns out, Augustine wasn't happy about dumping his old wife, uh, right. girlfriend, uh, after all. Yeah, yeah. He wrote uh, later, my mistress being torn from my side as an impediment to my marriage, my heart, which claved to her, was oh. racked and wounded and bleeding. So, we, so again, looking at his character, you know, I'm, I'm big on character, right? Right. Trying to interpret these guys from ancient history, I'm looking at what can we tell about their character? So here's a guy who, first of all, is with this woman for 15 years, has a kid, but doesn't get married to her because his mother won't allow it. Right. Then gets attracted to uh, Manichaeanism, which is all about this fight against evil um, uh-huh. and, and matter being evil, despite his mother not being happy about that. So I kind of see that. You could read that maybe if I wanted to be an amateur psychologist for a minute yeah. as his way of rebelling, classical like teenage rebellion against his mother. His mother won't let him marry the woman he loves, so he goes and joins a religion that she hates that yeah, um, probably yeah. that, that, that probably told him that he was evil because he was having sex with this woman and had a kid with her and all this kind of stuff. Um, you know, and probably, you know, cutting himself and whipping himself at the same time. I'm such a bad boy. I'm such a yeah. bad boy. You know, hit me on the balls, <laughs> make it hurt, mistress. It um, oh, I've got, a, I've got a song that he wrote about that too. <laughs> Yeah. 
shoes she shall wear. Ermine furs adorn imperious. Severin, Severin awaits you there. Venus and Furs, Velvet Underground, for the nice. kids that don't know that. Hey. A little um, bit of S&M going on. Speaking of balls, I have a story to tell you. And I can only tell uh, you because you promised not to tell anybody, and Heather never listens to this. Okay. All right. Just real quick. So we've when we first started dating, um, one night we're Hold sitting on, there you, you, at our house. You and me or <laughs> you and Heather? This time it's, it's myself and Heather. We're sitting right. there on the couch watching a movie. She's got a couple of glasses of wine in, and she turns and she gives me a strange look, and I start to get uncomfortable. Like, I think she's about to say she wants to strap something on and do me, and that's just a no-go with me. That's a non-starter. And she goes, I've heard that if you just thump the testicles, the pain is the same as kicking them really hard. Is that true? And I just said, uh, well, actually, it can be true. Yes, if you thump it just right and get it just right, it's an incredible amount of pain. You can tap, and the pain will bring you to your knees. And, this, and she, she kind of she goes, huh. And I'm like, well, we're not going to do any fucking experiments. You're just going to have to take my word for it, okay? But it is, in theory, true. It, it, it could be true. And then we went back to our movie. Right. Well, thanks for sharing that. <laughs> Story. <laughs> you said balls right? somewhere along the way, and that just flooded right back into my brain. Uh, you're welcome. You're welcome. So, as I was saying, um, <laughs> Augustine wrote that he was sad that oh. he he had left his mistress. Oh, we're talking about character, right? So we kicked her. He, out. Yeah. he kicked his love out, and he's obviously absolutely destroyed emotionally by this because his mummy told him to because she wanted him to marry a 10-year-old girl. And the older woman already knew what he liked and what he didn't like. I mean, you have to retrain a 10-year-old. That's a lot of work. This is a guy in his 30s. Right. Mid-30s, probably at this stage. He's not a kid. Mm Mm-mm. He's... This is, you know, this, this, this is evidence to me of a very weak, conflicted, damaged... Psyche. Don't give me this. I know some of you are going, oh, it was a different time and forever. No. Fuck off with that bullshit. No, bullshit. <laughs> you, think Alaric, yeah. you think Alaric <laughs> would have listened to his mother Fuck about you, who mom. he could and couldn't marry? <laughs> he laid siege to Rome. He's not listening to his mummy. No, this, fuck that. There was a different time. <laughs> And it's a cult. No, people, you know, no, it's no, it's character. It's right. it's it's evidence of um, just a, a guy who was a bit pussy whipped by his mother. Yeah. I don't know uh, what's sexy. going on here. Yeah. No, anyway, so he was he was he was emotionally destroyed that his mistress wasn't with him anymore, but not so much <laughs> that he didn't find someone else to bang. While he was waiting for the 10-year-old to get old enough that he could bang her. Legally. He called himself in his, in his 
autobiography, Confessions, he calls himself a slave of lust. Yeah. Which, funnily enough, Dick Tickling's Slave of Lust was the name of my first porn film. Pilot. Um, yeah. And it featured Jack Shit in, in his first cameo. Get it? Cam. Cam EO. I'm Cam. We're just going to build on this. Uh huh. I've got something to show you. Everyone else will get to see this in a couple of weeks. But uh, you get to see it now, my friend. All right. Dropping, I'm dropping it into Skype, sending, click receive or accept or whatever when it comes through. I don't see it. Oh, here we go. Okay. <clears throat> Oops, oh, coming through now. Oh. <laughs> I can say I knew you when. A uh, special bit of artwork that uh, James Caffin <clears throat> did for me, um, especially for this episode. He did it like, you know, weeks ago. But right. uh, <laughs> So that's going on a coffee mug and a T-shirt. Keep an eye out for that. <laughs> so. Where were we? Um, <sighs> unfortunately... This new chick he was banging couldn't help him forget his original lover and, and the, the tantalising uh, thought of banging the 12-year-old yeah. still uh, wasn't uh, uh, enough for him. Um, meanwhile, he has a, a friend of his from Hippo, Olypius, who had come with him to Milan. He talks him out of getting married to the 12-year-old. Right. He says, look, we, we, we won't be able to live a life together in the love of wisdom if you get married. Ah. Now, is it just me? <laughs> oh, does that sound like this guy was in love with Augustine? Yeah. And was trying to keep him to himself. He's looking for a love shack. I mean, don't get me wrong. They will pursue knowledge, but there's going to be some loving going on when the books are closed. When your best friend tells you not to get married because he wants to keep you all for himself. Right. Isn't that a higher form of love? I think you're right. If you see a faded sign at the side of the road that says 15 miles to the Yeah, he's looking for a love shack. Yeah. And Augustine, Augustine goes along with him. He's like, yeah, you know, bros before hoes, my man. And <laughs> he decides before, never mind, go ahead. he's not going to get married. Now, this whole idea that you can't have a love of wisdom if you're married. Like Cicero was married. Plato was married. Socrates was married. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure about Aristotle. But so, I'm sorry. This is... Bullshit. Wait for it. This is bullshit. So in 386, at the age of 31, Augustine 
converts to Christianity and decides he's going to be celibate in the process. So, so how do you break up with a uh, with eleven year old? You get down on one knee. Hi, little girl. Hey, hey. Um, so, um, here's a little toy. We're not going to be able to get married, okay? But you just take that and run. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. I, I don't, what do you say? Yeah, that's pretty much how it went down, Go, I think. Shoot, um, shoot. All right, so uh, let's leave it there. We'll get into more of Augustine uh, as, he's, as a Christian and his books and his writings uh, in the next episode. Before we do that, I want to read uh, 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 some of our uh, uh, supporters, subscribers to the show uh, in the last uh, few weeks. Cool. Um, Nick Duncan, Quentin Berlatia, Robert Young, Greg Bailey, Kane Kelfkins, uh, Evan Ryan, Mark Farr-Jones, Howard Greeson, Steve Ellis, Adrian Parkins, Matt Beasley, Kieran Kilkenny, uh, Ori Goldberg, Don Standing, Robert Warburton, Jerry Martin, John Forrest, Riley Alexander, Malcolm Beasley, Mike Ferris, William Winklemeyer, Nina Bratestad, Michael Beers, Kevin Brewer, Tim Henning, still alive. <laughs> Tim's still alive. Or someone's credit card, either way. Anna Schweibert, uh, Vince Schmetzer, Samuel Joff, Jeremy Hoffman, Donalf Gill, Per Bengston, Matthew Follett, Shane Ingram, John Haggerty, Sunil Merimu, Renee Nordine, Tom Ross, Greg Trevorrow, David Dallas, Cameron Zilke, Paul Rigsby, James Delaney, Paul Gruca, Chris Roche, Jeff Curtin, Brian Santino, Jessica Kilkenny, Tim Barnard, Adam Lemner, Dmitry Gadikov, and uh, Henry Gargan, our, uh, our most recent subscribers Thank to the you. show, golf, golf club, uh, golf club, golf <coughs> clap. Beat them with a the golf those club. Those people, uh, and uh, that's the show for this week. We'll be back with more renaissance and he said bullshit fella now more renaissance uh yeah next week 